Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. For the first time on British TV, it's the specials and gangsters. Pow! Back with the kids. Notes that Sparks are batting two out of two on their new LP, which is wrong because La Dolce Vita wasn't a chart hit. Peter, fucking hell. But then he introduces the television debut of the special AKA with Gangsters. We've already discussed the special AKA, as they're currently known, in chart music number 34, and this, of course, is their debut single, which was originally released by Two Tone in May of this year as a limited edition of 5,000, and then officially put out this month. It's a remake of sorts of Al Capone, the single that was released by Prince Buster in 1964, which eventually got to number 18 in the UK in April of 1967, with rewritten lyrics about an incident earlier that year while on tour in France with The Clash, when the band got blamed for trashing a hotel room, which resulted in the hotel manager nicking one of their guitars as collateral, and the band reluctantly and unfairly having to pay for the damage. It entered the charts last week at number 74, and this week it soared 33 places to number 41. Here they are in the studio, and all of a sudden the world is about to change for the pop craze youngsters. <laughs> oh yes, this is, uh, this is a bit of a year zero performance, isn't it? It yes. is. I wonder if that guitar taken as collateral was the lime green one that I ended up with. Oh, it may yes. Well have been. It may well have been. I remember this performance really distinctly. And I remember yeah. that when Powell at the end of it says that they were from Coventry, it was probably my first awareness that they were even from Coventry. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because I was seven, you know, and, and, and I, I wasn't part of any scene as such. Uh, but, you know, I, I remember that the, the sense of recognition I felt with it. The only thing I can compare it with is later on, much later on, watching Top of the Pops in, say, the late, late 80s and, and seeing Happy Mondays on it mm. or in the mid-90s and seeing Pulp on it. And what I mean by that is nothing musical. No. But suddenly you have people as we know them. Yes. And what I mean by that isn't a gritty down-to-earthness. I just mean that oddness of normal people mm. being themselves in a certain extent. Terry looking as ever... Back then, like he exists, in, he he lived in black and white in a colour world mm. in a way. Um, but it's a different thing than a Bowie moment. Um, this it's a different thing, but yeah. but it's but my God, what a record! It's it it still sounds so fresh and unlike anything with that weird Middle Eastern vibe to it. Yeah, totally. Mm. Unlike any reggae I'd ever heard before, and any scar I'd heard before, to be honest with you, the melody of it. Um, it's more like a pill track or something. It, yes. it, it's, you know, it's got that weird Middle Eastern 
and slightly Jewish klezmer vibe to it as well. Um, but yeah, it was that moment of kind of shit. These are people. These are just people like people. These aren't people selling their normalness. They were just normally abnormal, if you like. And, and, and yes. there was a real, real big moment. Um, it's funny that Powell ends it with good time music from Coventry. <laughs> I would exactly <laughs> call it good time music. But, but I mean, what a completely unique and amazing band that, that this track and this performance still has that freshness in my memory. I am not saying on mates with all the specials now. But what's odd now is, you know, friggin' John Shipley, I know him. Horace Panther painted a painting of me the yes. other day. Yes, whoa. Oh, you know? Neil, Neil, oh, my God. Neil, Neil, Neil. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Tell the people of chart music this amazing painting that you Well, did. it's a bizarre thing because uh, I, I, you know, I'm on Facebook far too much, but I got my daughter uh, a couple of years ago, I think, to take a photo of me shaking hands with a giant milkshake. <laughs> Uh, a giant milkshake mascot in Cofftown Centre outside Shakeaway, which is a milkshake shop. And something about this photo, which I periodically rotate as my profile pic, because I just look so gormless. <laughs> Rightly <in it>. so. <laughs> well, I just look ever so happy, as you would be shaking hands with a giant milkshake. Yeah. Who wouldn't be? Brings all the boys to the yard. Yeah, and the milkshake himself is sticking up his thumbs and stuff. So it's, it's a good yeah. shot. He's, and, he's happy as well. He's happy, he's happy. And it's a good shot, but oddly enough... Um, a couple of days after I, I, I sort of reposted it as my profile pic, Horace, uh, Panther, the bassist in the specials, got in touch and, and via messenger actually. And he, he was just like, Neil, I really love that photo and I want to make a painting of it. Is that okay? <laughs> and fucking hell, man, I'm a specials fan, a big specials fan. So it was just an honor. And I just said, yeah, of course you can, mate. Not expecting him to actually do anything. But then a couple of days later on Twitter, it pops up. But he's got back into his painting, in a sense. And his first work... Inspired him. Well, his first thing to get him back into the swing of painting again was a painting of that shot. So there's a painting, a beautifully done one, actually, a beautifully done one of, of me... Shaking hands with a milkshake. I think the reason he liked it is because you can see a street sign, Smithford Way, which is actually where that photo is taken, ironically enough, now that I think about it, is directly opposite Cough Central Library, which back then was the Locarno Ballroom where the specials used to play a lot. So perhaps that congruity was also appealed to him. It's a bizarre, bizarre thing as a fanboy like I am with the specials. To know them in that way and to, and to chat with Horace and, you know, to have Horace paint a painting of me is just fucking nuts. You're his, you're his muse. <laughs> I don't, but no, of course not. But I mean, you're like the Coventry version of Hitler's niece. <laughs> well, an awful lot of Coventry bands um, hate me. For, for various reasons, because I've never really boosted Cov music just because it's from Cov. I've always mm. said, if it's good, then I will. And uh, there's been precious little good stuff. But um, to be to know the specials now as I do, as people, um, doesn't take away from the sheer freshness and oddity of this performance and the excitement mm. of this performance. Um, for all kinds of reasons, the specials were suddenly a moment of recognition and it cannot be stressed enough that you've not just got a black drummer here you've not just do you know what i mean the multiracial yeah. nature of the band was so so important um yes. and 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 that moment of recognition it happened on this performance of uh, on top of the pots of gangsters um it's it's burned in my memory and discovering that they were from cov meant that i had a whole lot of catching up to do uh, my sister was already there by that point but i had a whole lot of catching up to do in terms of from then on it was about 
getting all the accruements of the culture that only a little kid could get. You couldn't go to the gigs, but you could sure as fuck buy a Harrington. You could sure yes. as fuck buy the clothes and all of that. And that started yeah. with this amazing, amazing record. One thing that occurs to me about uh, this this milkshake painting, which has just blown my <laughs> mind, by the way, is that, of course, it's got an extra meaning now because uh, milkshakes are now associated with uh, being thrown at Tommy Robinson and yes. Nigel Farage yes. yeah, yeah. by, by anti-fascist protesters, yes. which ties in with the special's proud anti-racist history. So there's that oh, uh, angle to man. it as well. Um, yeah, this, this song... Uh, it's one of those things where I can vividly remember uh, where I first heard it. And um, it was uh, basically every Sunday um, around this time, um, I'd go and see my dad and um, my stepbrothers and stepmom. And uh, as a treat, we would often uh, we drive over to Barry Island and get uh, a hot dog or a bag of chips and sit in the car listening to the Top 40. And it was just, you know, a very cheap little treat for the family. And we would do it just a nice sort of communal thing to do. And we'd be sat there. And I remember this record coming on the Top 40 Countdown. And just like, it, it's, it stopped, stopped me in my tracks. I was sitting down. But it was it, it was one of those moments. And Neil's absolutely right to, to talk about the Middle Eastern feel to the melody. Mm. Um, that occurred to me as well. And also... Uh, Neil compared it to Pill. I was going to say Newman, Tubey Army, but uh, but Pill's probably closer. But certainly, it's got that um, discordant um, mm. sort of feeling to to, to the melody. Um, I didn't connect it to reggae or even sped up reggae. Um, yeah. I didn't even know what I didn't know what Scar was. No. It was just it was this thing to itself. It was just this yeah. weird sounding, slightly harsh but very addictive sound. Mm. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's kind of. A bit kind of jarring and discordant on the ears, but I but I wanted more of it. Yes, and um, I, I had no idea about um, two tone or because well it was the first record on two tone. I I didn't know there was a Scar revival brewing because I didn't even know what Scar was. No, I didn't I didn't know it was connected to Skinheads. It was just this sound that was extraordinary. Mm. And then of course seeing it on top of the pops. And then reading up more about it in, in Smash Hits, I found myself really drawn to it. And as I've said before, Two Tone was my punk. I caught the arse end yeah. of punk by buying that Sham 69 record. Mm. But really, for me, this was it. This was the life-changing thing. This yeah. was, um, all right, I couldn't uh, shave my hair off straight away. But as soon as I'd left that shitty boarding school and uh, I was my own person, I, I got the crew cut and I became that guy. And that, that's why I'm dressing like that again now. <laughs> thing about this song and the specials and and two-tone is that kids immediately locked onto it yeah we've talked about the weirdness of the song that didn't matter to us we immediately got what this was about which is very strange because we're that age we like fast music and their first two singles were not fast well the second one particularly message to rudy is really quite slow yeah yeah Mm. yeah yeah. a good point you just looked at it and and just thought i I could be them Quite yeah, easily, well, yeah, absolutely. They're almost wearing what's going to be my school uniform in a in a month or so. Exactly, and you look at the audience during this performance. There's one black guy in the crowd doing proper rude boy dancing. There's there's mm. there's a white kid with a suede head haircut, and I wondered were they mates of theirs, like fans who'd mm. snuck in. But mm. but in retrospect, you look at it and think there there is this whole culture coming. It's on its way. Yeah, and and, and you're you're going to be part of that as as a kid watching it. You think right, this is where I'm going now. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and it's the feel and the sound because and the look. Because obviously Special's massively anti-racist band and their multiracialism is really important, but none of that is announced in this record. Mm, it's just no. a weird little tune, you know? It's a weird little tune that doesn't, you know, talk about any... The lyrics are so obscure to this day, I don't think he, I even know them all. Yeah. You know, it's just this weird little paranoid tune, but... but it's paranoid, isn't it? Like, why, it why is, must yeah. you record my phone calls? Are you planning a bootleg LP? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole the whole song is like that. But, it's, but it, you know, in that regard, this isn't dated in any no. regard whatsoever. I know you can tie it to two-tone or that. You put this on on a dance floor now, it gets people moving yes. to a really, really quite melodically odd, odd little song. Um, it, it's just it's just magical what, yeah. what happens when this record gets played. And the lyrics, it's funny because I, I had a pop at B.A. Robertson just now for writing a song uh, that sort of is, is like a nod and a wink to the music business yeah, and all that. We are. Well, in a, in a way, this is even more guilty of that, but but I didn't care. It's such Bernie a niche Rhodes, who the subject. Fuck yeah, because obviously the original yeah, yeah, goes yeah. Al Capone's guns don't argue at the start, and this one is Bernie Rhodes' nose don't argue. Mm. Um, so yeah, who the fuck's Bernie Rhodes? When you're a kid, you don't know. But no. but but some something about the sound of it speaks to you. I think when, yeah. when you're if it catches Absolutely. you at the right age. And, and the thing is, yeah, um, you know, everyone's got all the ska revivalists and everything. You know, I grew up in Ice and Green in the early seventies, the, the, the kind of like the the melting pot of Nottingham. And I had loads of black friends and, you know, loads of black people living on the same street as me. I used to hear reggae all the time. Never heard ska. Ska was something completely new to me when this yeah. song came out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I even didn't, didn't know the timeline. I, I thought ska came after reggae. Yeah. It was actually the other way, yeah, other yeah, way around. Yeah, because yeah, I remember when um, I, I, I sort of fell in love with this song. My dad saying to me, oh, well, if you like this, you ought to hear the original. And mm. I was a bit affronted. Like, what do you mean the original? <laughs> and then he digs out <laughs> he digs out from a box somewhere the Blue Beat single of uh, mm. um, uh, Prince Buster, Al Capone. And, um, yeah, yeah. And, and that was coming back as well, because in the NME this week, uh, they run a competition for uh, for a, a Blue Beat compilation LP, plus uh, a pork pie hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be long, would it, before the back pages of all the music mags were full of yes. little adverts for your fake, your knockoff pork pie hats and your tassel loafers and just specials gear, really. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. The, the look of them as well is, is really key. You know, yes. Bradbury is so fucking cool and so shitly and so... Horace and, and, you know, Linville and Neville. But, I mean, obviously key to it is, is as I've mentioned, Terry. But also, in a slight... I'm, I'm sure it's, it, it, he wasn't in any way thinking of Ron Mayle, but there's a similar moment yes, where Jerry yes. Jerry does this slow smirk to the camera. Yes. He looks yeah, up. Yeah, he leans forward. He leans it's into it, doesn't he? just fantastic. Just absolutely... I wonder if like, it was a piss take. I wonder if it was a deliberate reference to Ron Mayle. I did wonder mm, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, all amazing debut band performances on Top of the Pops, your eyes are all over the place yeah mm. number one you can't believe that there's so many people on a stage <laughs> a fucking band yeah. yeah yeah terry hall is clearly the the front man but it's it's uh it's neville yeah i mean he's got mm. that checkerboard suit mm. it's a brilliant mm. suit it looks wearing. amazing yeah yeah looks like, and he's going berserk and he's the one you immediately turn to and look at he's at this point he is the flavor flavor <laughs> yeah yeah of, yeah, of yeah the band absolutely because yeah. it's like all oh, this all this brilliant shit's going on oh fucking hell look at him yeah too much to look at. That's the case. He is bezing, but but he's he's more of a crucial component of the band than Bez was. Bez was the sprig of parsley on the side of the plate <laughs> yeah. at first. Yeah. But with Neville, you immediately look to him and go, ah, okay, 
Yeah. He's the pop star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Terry, right? Terry, I think Terry denied wearing makeup, but look at him. He's got eyeliner on here. Yeah, no question. Definitely, definitely. I mean, he's got quite shadowy eyes anyway, but he's definitely got eyeliner on here. But um, the thing with his demeanour of being so um, deadpan and morose, uh, I always wondered if it was put on or what, uh, or, or what it meant, where it came from. It's only quite recently that these really sort of disturbing stories have come out about his, his childhood and how he, he was basically raped by a school teacher on a, um, on a oh, school trip man. to France. Apparently, that's, it's been in the pub, public domain for, for a little while, but it's only um, recently that he's, he's talked about it quite a lot in interviews. And it's one of those oh. things that in, it's similar to... Um, when Gary Newman kind of self-diagnosed as, as being autistic and you look back and think that makes sense of everything about him mm. at this time. Um, mm. You sort of look at Terry Hall and think, well, th- there's probably reasons why he's not a bundle of laughs. At this <laughs> yeah. he's, only, yeah, he's, yeah. he's only 19. Yeah. He's only 19. This would have been quite fresh in his memory. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't. I don't want to be an armchair uh, armchair shrink here, but I, you know, I kind of wondering. But 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 it's that mix. It's the mix of the specials that is crucial. Not only the mix of classes and the mix of music, but that mix between the yeah the impreneb. You couldn't get inside Terry's head really. He, he does. He no. does cut himself off a little bit with his. But it's that combined with Neville just going nuts next to him that just makes yes. this such a riot. Uh, it was one yeah. of the greatest all time top of the pops performances. This. And he's got that mm. kind of snottiness to his vocal, which it's a bit, yes. it is a bit like Johnny Rotten. It was almost like Johnny Rotten for those of us who just, just missed out on actual Johnny Rotten, mm. you know. And that's important because if you're kind of like, uh, you know, a punk kid or something, it's like, oh, I can latch onto this. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if, it had, like, if he'd have snarled it like Johnny Rotten, that would have been a London thing. If it, do you know, <laughs> that, that sounds really, I don't want to come up, come out with any civic pride type bullshit, but, but, <laughs> It's a cov thing, and I'm not saying nobody could understand. Yeah. Everyone could understand, but that blankness, that that kind of, we've already been bombed out. What the fuck are you going to do to us? <laughs> Bankness. Yeah. That that yeah. is key to, to to Terry's persona that he puts across, and key to what makes the band so good. Imagine if he'd done it like Paul Nicholas doing reggae. Like <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know we can't we can't not mention the 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 actual single because the fucking brilliant thing about that was you had this amazing A side, and then you turn it over, and it's like, oh god, it's not even the same band, and it's like, oh fucking hell, do you mean there's another band that's yeah. playing yeah, this yeah. kind of music? Yeah, yeah. The selector by the selector. It's a great instrumental, great instrumental. It's fucking brilliant, yeah. and it's like, oh my god, this. this there's a whole thing going on here. Yeah. Before you knew it, madness and the beat as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's still massively inspirational in a mm. sense. And you know, this is all out of a fucking house down Albany Road in Coventry, in Jerry's room. Mm. You know, this is all going to happen from that place. So yeah. you know, this notion of I don't know going and selling yourself in London or having to do lots of different things to sell yourself. No, all you need really with pop music is a fucking amazing record. The rest will follow. Yeah, it's a bit like um, how the Human League always refused to move to London. Mm. They were always very proud of just being a Sheffield band. They just, you know. Yeah, and yeah. yeah similar kind of yeah. thing. So the following week, Gangsters soared 17 places to number 24. And three weeks later, it began a two-week run at number six. The follow-up, A Message to You, Rude Air, got to number 10 in November of this year and four months later, they took the special, a.k.a. live EP, all the way to number one for two weeks.
good time music from Coventry. That's the specials and gangsters. This is Dance. Good time music from Coventry, explains Powell, before nearly fucking up the intro to the next single, Duke of Earl by Darts. Formed in Brighton in 1976 by the Razors, the former backing group of Rocky Sharp, Darts were initially a four-piece who were eventually supplemented by members of John Dummer's blues band. After becoming a regular fixture on the UK university circuit, they appeared on Charlie Gillett's Radio London show in October of 1976. They then signed to Magnet Records and were teamed up with Tommy Boyce, who had written and produced singles for the Monkeys. Their recording career flew out of the blocks in late 1977 when their debut single Daddy Cool got to number six in December of that year. And then they scored three number two singles on the bounce with Come Back My Love, The Boy From New York City and It's Raining in 1978. Held off number one by Take A Chance On Me, Rivers Of Babylon and Three Times A Lady respectively. Although their run of top 10 hits was broken by Don't Let It Fade Away, which got to number 18 in December of 1978, they roared back in March of 1979 when Get It got to number 10. This is the follow-up, a cover of the Gene Chandler standard, which got to number 1 in the US in 1962 but didn't chart here, and it's been produced by Roy Wood and has leapt up 10 places this week from number 32 to number 22. Although there was never a de facto front person, as the lead singer Roller rotated from member to member, the most recognised member, Den Hegater, had left the band in late 1978 to try a solo career and present the Tyne Teens music show All Right Now and has been replaced by Kenny Andrews, an actual boy from New York City. It's about time we had a bit of a rock and roll thing going on because it's still the late 70s. And got to say that Darts were the band amongst uh, my male friends at school after Show Waddy Waddy and just before Sham 69. I, I, I can recall, you know, many a time in the cloakroom after school getting a bit of a doo-wop session going on <laughs> and singing Come Back My Love, uh, which, which was only interrupted by the hysterical laughter of my teacher, Mr. Wright. <laughs> amazingly been forgotten about. I mean, I was absolutely shocked to read that, do that research and, and find out they had three number two hit records in a row. That's insane. Oh, yeah. They were massive. They were at massive. Time. Yeah, I, I think I preferred them to Shwadi Wadi mm. for yes. that kind of thing, personally. Yeah. I really liked them. Um, I, I think... Um, I took them on a sort of single by single basis, mm. but um, I, you know, I didn't buy their stuff out of loyalty. But nearly every time they brought a single out, I was like, "Actually, this is great." Yeah. Um, so um, I, I particularly loved uh, "Come Back, My Love." Apart from anything else, because I was convinced that um, the guy, the guy who looks a bit like um, 
Sonny Corleone uh, in The Godfather, uh, <laughs> when, uh, but he's like like a balding version. I swore oh. that I swore that he was going whop do the wank. That's what it, and, and still to this day, that's what it sounds like to me. Um, or maybe he looks like a thin Bob Hoskins circa Long Good Friday, something like mm. that. But I believe that I believe the person you're talking about is Bob Fish. Bob Fish, which is the most yeah, yeah. the most unfucking seventies music name ever. This is the truck. I mean, we're talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the specials having lots of members. Fucking hell, how many of darts yeah. were there? Overmanning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But big seventies thing, man. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. National Union of Pop Groups. Also a multiracial <laughs> group that that uh, a black bass yes. man, and of course Rita Ray is as one of the lead singers. Yes. Um, yes. And in, in this video, I, I quite like the bit that uh, during the sax break they, they cut to a, a little uh, yes well it's not it's a, it's a performance but they cut to a video of uh, uh, yes. Rita Ray um, uh, wearing a sort of tiara looking like a, a princess yes. a tiara and furs and they got um, one of the male guys uh, the, one of the singers looking like Prince Andrew mm. in a naval uniform yes. in this uh, horse-drawn carriage yeah I think at that time they were going for um, Prince Charles but oh, he really? does look like Prince Andrew. Oh, I thought Prince yeah, Andrew, you talk, yeah. You're talking about Griff Fender there. Griff Fender. Great names. They all great names, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, the thing I loved about darts at the time was they all looked like your favourite teachers doing a bit of a Christmas review in the assembly hall. <laughs> <laughs> that is spot on, actually. Yeah. Mm. They're kind of grown-ups who ought to know better, but they're having a bit of a laugh. And they had a certain kind of anarchic yeah. quality to them, I think. Yes, they did. There yeah. was just something... Particularly when Dan Hegarty was <laughs> yeah, involved. especially Dan Hegarty. There was a certain, like, just spot of chaos about darts when you saw them on telly. This is the first time uh, we've covered a dart song, but we have discussed them before. Uh, and I think it was, I think it was with your two, wasn't it? I, I posed the question: out of all the rock and roll revivalist bands, who would win a rumble? Oh yes, outside a transport cafe. You know, because you got Show Waddy Waddy, you got Rocky Sharp and the replays, uh, you got darts, and you, you've got Racer. I think Racy would leg it yeah, pretty no quick. Chance. Yeah, no chance. Yeah, Racy yeah. are out of there straight away. Rocky Sharp on the replays. Uh, vicious, I feel, but 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 not mob-handed. Mm. They stand their ground, but I think they wouldn't come out of it well. I think Shawati Wati versus Darts is um, that's that's the equal. That's an equal fight. Yeah, yeah. I would mm. say that's a that's evenly matched. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't fuck with Darts. No, you wouldn't fuck with Darts no. at all. No. 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 Also, because yeah, that that bit more mature. They they probably fight dirty. They knew lots of tricks. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> They're probably concealing weapons in their drape jackets. Yeah, Rita would take her stilettos off and just yeah. fetch someone across the face in them. Yeah, somebody there would have a snooker ball in the sock tucked inside those little oh, yes. pockets. Yeah, no, yeah, no yeah, all yeah. the tricks, yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah. 
So we kind of, um, I guess we've alluded uh, before to, to their um, riotous reputation, but mm. I took the trouble of uh, going uh, into Danny Baker's book, um, going to see in a sieve to get yeah. the actual details of this, right? And um, basically what happened was um, he tells the story of how he met his first wife. He met her in prison, and it's, it's Dart's fault because uh, mm-hmm. he was right for the enemy at the time and uh, went on the road with them. And, and he says uh, that Darts were the best band to go on tour with, uh, narrowly beating Ian Dewey in the Blockheads. Um, right. And what it was, it was in Derby, actually, sorry, Al, um, where this happened. Or maybe, no, don't may- apologise for Derby, mate. I don't. Actually, uh, <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's just as well, because uh, uh, Derby comes out of it pretty badly, so you might enjoy yeah, this. Not, right. not surprised. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're in a sort of um, hotel or motel on the edge of Derby, and uh, when they walked in, they made the book in uh, previously, but the manager didn't know that they were a pop group. And when it turned out that they were a pop group, he got really shitty with them and um, <sighs> refused to uh, open the bar. Um, even though, you know, they're, they're probably a fairly... thought he was going to get Jockey Wilson and Eric Bristow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So exactly. All, yeah, the bar, I, we're going to make a lot of money on the bar tonight. I, well, the way Danny tells it, I think that is genuinely the case. He thought they were darts players. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's true. So, uh, and, you know, they were fairly mature in, a, in age and mm. respectably dressed pop group. They're wearing suits and all that. Mm. But nevertheless, he wasn't having it. And there was a bit of an argument. And the guitarist told the manager to fuck off. So he called the police. So <sighs> they're in the middle of nowhere. It's not like they can just walk off somewhere. They've got nowhere else to stay. So they just think, right, we'll sit it out and we'll sort of make our case when the police turn up. So they went and s- sat in the bar area waiting for the cops to arrive. But it took ages. So... They got bored and inevitably they climbed over the bar and started serving themselves, mm. right? Now, they weren't you, stealing. You've got to get it while you can. <laughs> they, they weren't stealing. They, they, they did a whip round and they stuffed 30 quid in a pint mug. Mm. But that, that didn't matter uh, because things escalated. Because first of all, Danny Baker himself, using his switchboard skills, because he used to be on the switchboard uh, at NME reception, yes, he went... NME, he went yeah. He went behind uh, the, the, the reception desk and started connecting random rooms to each other because, <laughs> just for the mischief, causing all kinds of chaos, which he admits is a bit of a shitty thing to do, but there we go. And then um, the band uh, started having a competition to see who could head this dangling bauble. There was this bauble in the bar and it's hanging down from a light fitting and they all reckon, right, who can jump high enough to head it? And finally, one of them jumps up and connects and sends this bauble flying and it goes into a row of wine glasses. And, you know, <laughs> so the noise obviously brings this fucking manager back. And another member of Darts then goes, fuck it. He wanted the sex pistols. Let's give him the sex pistols. Yeah. And he throws a beer bottle over his shoulder, Whoa. smashing a plate glass window. <laughs> then the police arrive. So they've got, they, at, at this point, they haven't got a leg to stand on. So they're all, they're all thrown in the cells. But, um, Danny managed to wriggle out of it by pretending that he and Kelly Pike of Record Mirror, who was also there, uh, were just an innocent couple who somehow got caught up in all this. Oh, and, weasel. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and before long, they actually did get married. So that's the story <laughs> Danny Baker and Darts. But yeah, it just it, what comes out of that is you would not fuck with Darts. No, no definitely way. not. Yeah. Well, I always preferred Darts to Shiwadi Wadi um, mm. for a major reason. In fact, I didn't like the fact that my mum fancied Romeo Challenger. Um, oh, I really man. didn't like that fact. What, do you, were you worried that she was going to run off with him? Well, maybe, but you just don't want your parents to be like that or telling you who they fancy. It was, it, my missus, no, my no. missus used to say that one of the things that most put her off Marvin Gaye's sexual healing was seeing her mum 
dancing to it in a kind of sexy way. And it's just, you don't <laughs> oh, yeah, want, that, that'll, that'll you, do it. You don't want to see that, do you? No. Romeo Challenger was in the wrong band anyway. Romeo Challenger with a name like that should have been in darts. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always preferred darts. And it, they were a singles by singles band, absolutely. So this one, Duke of Earl, not that keen of it. Um, I've never really liked Duke of Earl beyond its usage mm. um, in Hand on the Pump by Cypress Hill. And, and when, yes. when I hear... I fucking love that song. When I hear that sample, la, la, or when la, I hear la, that Duke la, of Earl, la, 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 that's the tune that I want to next hear. In, in a similar way that, you know, when I hear... Um, the start of Jump Around by oh, House yes, of Pain. Mate. I'm always fucking massively disappointed that it turns out to be Jump Around by House of Pain and not Harlem Shuffle. Oh, you know what I mean? And it, there's that little gap, isn't there? And you're just hanging there, man. When you run to a dance floor because you think it's Harlem Shuffle and it ends up being... Yes, House, oh, which is a fucking fuck it. Well, it, it can go the other way as well. It, it can. can really divide a crowd. If you play Harlem Shuffle, yeah, you yeah. get all these, like, all these beer monsters running on the dance floor wanting a bit of a sort of, you know, a mosh and jumping yeah, around. Yeah. And it turns out to be these really cool 60s soul records. They're like, mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fuck yeah. them. They deserve their disappointment. Well, quiet. You know what would be the absolutely worst thing you could do to fuck everybody off? As a DJ, you could play the opening horn blast of Harlem Shuffle and then play the Rolling Stones version of Harlem oh, Shuffle. Nobody oh. needs to do that. Everyone's fucked off then. Yeah, nobody wins from that. But no, dart, darts I always enjoyed because of their lively performances. The clips that interrupt their performance here, as Price has mentioned, are quite bizarre. They're fucking mental. I mean, and that's not a video. That's The BBC have done that yeah. for them, haven't they? That's one of those things, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. BBC obviously liked darts being on top of the pops yeah. because, first of all, uh, the kids, who we haven't seen that much of in this episode, it mm. has to be said, mm. have been given some proto-Burger King cardboard hats, which is helping darts' cause a lot. And then, <laughs> midway through the song, yes, we do cut to video footage, which was obviously shot by the BBC. We see the front of a coach and horses. And the camera swings round and it turns out they're pulling one of those big prams that the Queen sits in every now and again. Also, it's filmed mm. from the air. Is it filmed from a fucking helicopter or something? So they were sparing no budget there. Yeah. So you get Griff Fender done up in Naval Commander Rigal. And yes, he does look frighteningly like Prince Andrew. And uh, Rita Ray's next to him in a tiara. But then the camera swings round and what do we discover? Oh, the nude cellist. What the fuck is all that about? <laughs> There's a naked blonde playing a cello. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that at all. Very strange. It Very was strange. mental. <laughs> and then, of course, during the middle eight, we can see Griff Fender getting changed on stage. And we cut back to footage of various members of the band necking bottles of champagne and mm. uh, playing guitar in the carriage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, there must be an entire video for this. Just them dicking around in a carriage. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Oh, yeah. And as always with darts, when you watch it this time, you do s- sort of miss Den Hegarty. Not as much as you think you're going to do, but it's just like, oh, it would have been nice to see what he'd be getting yeah. up to. He's here. in them now. He's rejoined because now. Because by this time, he's, we're not too long from him being uh, one of the new presenters on Tiz Was. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he was a perfect fit for that. Mm-hmm. I think he was a school teacher at one point, wasn't he? Uh, no, he's now a psychology lecturer. Oh, right. Oh, lecturer. That's it, yeah. right, yeah. Blimey. Oh. Imagine that. 
Yeah, hell. yeah, but um, this this single, I I didn't I didn't know the original by Gene Chandler, and I think it's one of those weird quirks of chart music that we've mentioned Gene Chandler, a fairly obscure yeah. figure, twice in two different contexts. <laughs> yeah, uh, and episode. he was in the charts this year, wasn't he? With Get Down, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, somebody to sort of come from the doo wop here and have a disco here. It's quite a thing. Yeah, the whole strange thing about this era is, of course, if you think ten years previous, I think this might have been mentioned before, but. You know, who at Woodstock would have predicted that the most influential band on late 70s British pop would have been Sha Na Na, you know? Sha Na Na. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I, I like this single. Um, and I, um, when I sort of became cool, as it were, became a specials fan, I still didn't completely give up on darts because I remember no. in, in 1980, they brought out a cover of Let's Hang On uh, by the Four yes. Seasons, which I bought. It was the last single I would buy by them, but it just had this really filthy guitar sound. Nah, 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 and I just fucking loved that. So, yeah. you know. A bit different to Barry Manilow's version <laughs> a year or so later. <laughs> So, the following week, Duke of All jumped top five places to number 17, and two weeks later it got to number six, its highest position. The follow-up, Can't Get Enough of Your Love, only got to number 43 in November of this year, and after a cover of the Four Seasons, Let's Hang On got to number 11 in July of 1980, they drifted off into theatre work, reforming in 2006 for sporadic appearances. Darts have, um, well, they're not still going, but they occasionally get back together and they're playing a gig at the 100 Club soon. And apparently, um, it's nearly the original lineup. Put it this way everybody who's in darts now was in darts in the sort of hit making era. I think one of them's passed away, yeah. but um, I, oh. it's sold out. I'm gutted. I really want to go to that show. Oh, yeah. So, what I'm saying is, Dave Edmonds, if you've got any way of getting a yes. ticket for me to see darts, <laughs> you can have your award, mate. I'm begging you. I want to go and see darts at the 100 Club. Well, well, let's let's take it one stage further, Simon. You've got an award, yeah? What is it? What's the award? It's the Welsh Music Award for Lifetime Achievement for Dave Edmonds. Right. Okay. So, where's where's the words Dave Edmonds? Oh, yeah. Well, it's on a yeah. You see where okay. I'm going here? Yeah. yeah, it's on a little sort of uh, a plate on the front, which yeah. Right, okay, if you can get Simon tickets to see Darts at the 100 Club, he will give you a Lifetime Achievement in Welsh Music Award with your name on it. Duke of Earl. It's the Gibson Brothers. They're live on stage and what a life. Ooh, indeed. Oh, oh, what a life. <laughs> Pow! With the kids clustered all around him gets an assist from someone behind his back looming over him. Why? It's Jimmy Purser, who fucks up the name of the song and has to be corrected. It's Ooh, What a Life by the Gibson Brothers. Spawned throughout the 50s in Martinique, Chris, Patrick and Alex Gibson were brothers who took after their dad and played a bit of the old salsa. 
After relocating in Paris in 1969 to complete their education, they ended up playing in assorted clubs and eventually became session musicians. In 1968, they linked up with the producer Daniel Van Gogh, and although they scored hits across continental Europe with Come to America, Non-Stop Dance and Cuba, it wasn't until this year that they made any kind of dent on the UK charts when Cuba got to number 41 in March. This is the follow-up and it's up this week seven places from number 37 to number 30 and this is their Top of the Pops debut. But before we address the Gibson Brothers, that introduction by Jimmy Purser, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the kids watching at home would be looking at this and going, oh, Percy's selling out. Well, what other punk frontman would have done that? Yeah. You know, it, you wouldn't get Johnny Rotten doing that. Definitely not. Already mentioned that Sham 69's uh, tracks for the Quadrophenia soundtrack were turned down because there weren't 60s enough, but he, apparently he was also in the frame to play Jimmy in that. And he's got his whole, like, arty um, mime career going on. It's sort of um, interpretive. Oh, dance, yes. Yeah, yeah. All that sort of stuff. Didn't you run into him recently and ask him about that, Simon? Yeah, he turned up at my girlfriend's club night, Total Blam Blam, in Brighton, um, after Sham 69 had done a gig. And I asked him about his whole kind of arty BBC Two um, Riverside. In, yeah, oh Riverside was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, his, of course, it was Riverside. His his uh, his his arty sort of dance project thing, mm. um, and uh, I, you know, so it's a bit of an odd thing to do. And, and he said, yeah, he just he said he did it to piss off the skinheads. Yeah, that was the reason for doing it. And given well what we've spoken that, about, yeah, earlier in this episode, absolutely fair play to him. Yeah. I did wonder while I was watching this. Do, do you think, like backstage, there was a, a an official ceremony between Jimmy Percy and the specials where <laughs> he handed over his mentalist following? Yeah, you have him now. I don't want him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Fucking yeah, up. I forgot to mention who the uh, other who the other guest uh, host was on uh, Mike Reed's evening show after Jimmy Percy. Oh yeah. B.A. Cunterson. Oh, yeah. Of course it was. Yeah, you can imagine those two getting on really well. Yeah, they. Mm. Yeah, I think they were a bit matey, weren't they? But anyway, this song and the Gibson Brothers. I mean, the, 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 here's the thing about disco. It was truly global at the time. Mm. And nobody gave a toss where the artists came from as long as they were any good. You know, everyone goes on about, oh, you know, French pop and stuff like that in a disparaging manner. But no, no one ever said that about... French disco or, I don't know, Belgian disco or Latin disco. Absolutely. And it didn't have to be from that one place. No, and this is, um, well, the Gibson Brothers in general were um, kind of a Latin disco act, even though mm. they're French and sort of, of Caribbean heritage. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that the production team here, so it's, as you mentioned, it's Daniel Van Gard and, and Jean Kluger, they, they were, right. who were also responsible for um, D-I-S-C-O by Ottawan, which is obviously oh, a, bit of a, dear. a bit of an atrocity. But this, the Gibson Brothers, I mean, I, I think they're, they're a cut above that stuff. Um, yes. That, um, Vanguard and Kluger did lots of other Euro disco stuff, but I, I do think the Gibson Brothers were a, a slightly different class. Um, mm. I, I actually bought this album. Yeah, it was a six, uh, it was called Cuba, um, and it was, a, um, again, a six-track album. I wonder if that was uh, a nod to Giorgio Moroder, if, if that was just sort of an idea at large, that if you make a disco album, there's only any point putting six songs on, but make them bloody long songs. And um, that mm. had uh, three hits on it out of six. So, que sera mi vida, um, yeah. Oh, What a Life, and, of course, the communist propaganda of the title track, Cuba. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the follow-up, the Falkland Islands didn't do so well in the UK charts, I recall. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember um, uh, going to Kelly's Records in Cardiff, which was, and still is, in fact, um, 
a shop on the uh, upper level of the indoor market and it's just a mm. wonderland just an absolute treasure trove that place and my dad used to yeah. tra- take me there when I was a kid I used to sort of I, I'd be allowed a record while he was sort of spending hours grazing through um, the racks and, and one time I, I chose the Gibson Brothers album which again is an example of how kind of wide my musical tastes were at that time before I sort of focused in on the cool stuff Man. And um, yeah, did you ever get any reaction from your dad when you handed him that week's record? Yeah, be kind of raised eyebrows sometimes, and usually it was fairly positive. <laughs> usually um, there was an element, oh, of as I said before with the specials. Oh well, if you like that, you'll like this, and then yeah. you know, find something else mm. that was similar to it. And um, sometimes I was resistant to that because I didn't like the idea that my music yeah. had all been done before. That you know, sort of, sort of resented that a little. I don't know how I'd cope with that, you know, yeah. having a, an encouraging dad yeah. picking my mm. way through the pop minefield. Because my best mate in the mid-80s, his dad, Terry, he'd sit and watch Top of the Pops with my mate. Yeah. And he'd be there going, oh, this is good. Oh, yeah, I like this band. Oh, the, the, you know, they've done this, this and this. And he was well into it. And it was like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm not used to this at all. Because if I ever watched Top of the Pops with my dad, he'd be just like, oh, look at these fucking bent cunts. And, oh, they're not fucking real. And I used to love that. It's like, yeah, dad, this is my world now. You're not part of it. I was deprived of, of that of that kick you can get as a teenager from your music pissing off your parents because mm. it just it very rarely works. I remember one time going around his house with a Jesus Mary Chain record and stick it sticking it on, thinking surely this is going to be too far even for him. Yeah. And and then he goes, "Oh, is this a Jesus Mary Chain? No. Yeah, I played them on my radio show the other night." I'm like, "Oh." For <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, man. So, yeah, there's an element of that. <laughs> Your household was a bit of a happy medium between those two extremes, Neil, weren't they? Yeah, my mum liked some pop. My dad sort of took the piss, mainly. Yeah. Um, my mum liked some pop. So, and she liked, so, I mean, she liked, as I've said before, fast music. So she was a big Quo fan, oddly enough. Ooh. But, um, yeah, no, there was that mix. There was that mix of me and my sister being into pop. And my dad taking the piss and considering it a little bit beneath him. He'd just sit there in stony silence, to be honest with you. And my <laughs> yeah. mum just pointing out who was homosexual and who was a drug addict. So, you know, <laughs> we had that nice mix going on. It wasn't... I, But I think the key for me, the moment where the wedge was in between our music and my parents' music, was actually, oddly enough, when I started exploring older music. Contemporary yeah. pop never antagonised my parents. It was when I started buying things like Nevermind the Bollocks, the Sex Pistols and things like that, that, right. that, that things... They didn't get fractious as such. They couldn't have given a toss. But, but that was no. certainly stuff I wouldn't sit around listening to with them. Neil, all. I really yeah. wish that um, when you were a kid, you um, actively and formally sat down with your mum and, and made a list, made some kind of record yeah, yeah. of, like, know, of, know, of every pop star and whether or not they were gay or were they taking she drugs. Knew. Yeah. She knew. I don't know how, but she did. But, uh, you know, uh, she was oh, probably... Can you imagine how much money Kelvin McKenzie would have paid your mum <laughs> yeah. for this well, information? To be honest with you, her list of who took drugs was basically a list of who wore sunglasses on stage <laughs> right. on top of the pops. Because they're obviously covering up their eyes because they're all fucked up on drugs. Lenny but. Peters. <laughs> <laughs> but this this song, um, it's quite slight. It's it's just, mm. it's more of a feel. It's more of a of a breeze, like a sort of summer breeze, than than a song yes. itself. But I do really like it, and I do I, I really enjoy the performance here because for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, it's very energy packed. Um, the singer, mm. which I think who I think is Chris Gibson. He's doing, particularly towards the end, he's doing all star jumps and twirls and stuff. Yeah, it gets very mad yeah, Lizzie, doesn't it? Does. it? And they're, they're wearing these amazing sort of silvery metallic jumpsuits 
which I, yeah. I'm quite envious of. And well, they're, they're purple, but they're, they're, they're well, lilac, they're, they're sort metallic. of like metallic mm. purple, silvery purple, like like lilac. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yes, the, um, the the keyboards. One of the keyboards is, I think, is uh, it's like if if Prince ran yeah. a garage. <laughs> this is what the yeah. stuff I'd have to That's wear. What, yeah, quick fit, quick fit, as run by Prince. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but um, the keyboardist in the middle, who I think is Alex Gibson, uh, looks exactly like Don Cheadle, circa Boogie Nights. <laughs> yeah. And that really adds a little something to it for mm. me. It's interesting, Al, that you said that uh, with disco, it doesn't matter where people come from. Um, you could still do disco and still not get away with it, but be liked. It's, but the, the odd thing about this record is that I, I think, yeah, it's, li- it's massively likeable. But that Martinique accent, if you like... Mm. Um, really makes it a little not different to a disco record, but it's really important. The yes. singer's the singer's accent. He's yes. got a kind of sternness to his <laughs> to his voice in yes. a way. It's not loose. It's different. Yeah. A voice oddly reminiscent to me, and this is a bizarre comparison that probably nobody else would make. But a voice oddly reminiscent of kind of. Fergal Sharkey after his balls had dropped. There's a, there's, a, there's a kind of, there's an odd sort of confluence there. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right in terms of disco from anywhere worked. Um, that Martinique accent is yeah. so important to the Gibson brothers. Well, I mean, the, the big criticism of any disco band was, oh, you all sound the bloody same. So no, well, they to don't. have a distinctive yeah. voice like his. Absolutely. If you listen to the radio and a new disco song came on, it's like, oh, that's the Gibson brothers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think his voice works best on the track. Um, what's another one of theirs? Non-Stop Dance. I love that track. Um, in, a, in an amazing year for disco, this is a pretty good single. Yes, and it is an amazing year for disco, as you mentioned. His voice yeah. and the lyrics as well. That There'll be no more fighting and there'll be food for everyone. He does sound like a dictator giving a speech on a balcony, <laughs> yeah. but in a really nice, pleasing disco it, way. Yeah. Well, hence, hence Cuba. You know, hence Cuba. He's basically yeah. uh, repeating a Fidel Castro speech there, I'm thinking. Yes. yes. But what a year for disco. What a year. Risque, yeah. We Are Family, Bad Girls, Secret Omen by Cameo and Off the Wall. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. amazing year for disco. Knock on Wood by Amy Stewart. Yep. Yes. Yep. And the Doolies. And the Doolies. <laughs> <laughs> so the following week, ooh, what a life, jumped five places to number 25. And three weeks later, it got to number 10, its highest position. The follow-up, Kesara Mia Vida, did even better, getting to number five in December of this year, and a re-release of Cuba made it to number 12 in March of 1980. After Mariana got to number 11 in August of 1980, they never troubled the top 40 again, although they're still going today. Hopefully in them jumpsuits. <laughs> <laughs> Gibson Brothers at number 30. Well, what more do you want? Second week at number one, take it easy. It's the Boomtown Rats. How? Hiding behind a palm leaf asks us what more do we want the number one single of course and here's the video for it I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats 
We've already discussed the Boomtown Rats in chart music number 13 when Rat Trap was at number one. And this is the follow-up and their first single in nine months. It was written in Atlanta on Monday, January the 29th of this year, when Bob Geldof was doing an interview at the campus radio station of Georgia State University, and a newsflash came in through the telex machine about Brenda Spencer, a 16-year-old girl from San Diego, who started firing a gun out of her bedroom window at some kids waiting for the school gates to open across the road, eventually killing two adults. When a local reporter called her as she was barricaded in the house, she explained, I don't like Mondays, this livens up the day. Although it was originally intended as a B-side and a reggae song at that, the band's mind was changed by the response to their pared-down version during their American tour and it became the highest new entry at number 15 two weeks ago. And last week, it knocked our friends Electric by Tubeway Army off number one and here it is at its second week atop the summit of Mount Pop. Oh, the temptation to go for uh, Our Friends Electric, Simon. That must have been killing you. True, because, yeah, that is the sort of year zero of the 80s, uh, or, or the week zero of the 80s. But we've done Newman plenty, so... Oh, God, yeah. 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 Enough Newman. For now. Yeah. Well, in a way, this is... Not in a musical way, but in a way, this is year zero of the 80s, because this is one of those songs... Well, but I'll come on to the song actually. But the video for this, which is what we get shown here, for me, it's one of the first and most memorable pop videos ever, and it yes. almost ushers in the video age. Obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody had kind of done something not similar to this video visually, but you know, it had been an important video, had yeah. been an important promo video. I would say this is the next one. Um, I remember yeah. everything about this video: the clothes, the kids yeah, yeah. in the classroom with their Village of the Dam style eyes, yes, the living yes. room, every single move that Geldof makes, standing up, sitting down, whatever he's doing. I remember all of it. So, so this video, in a sense, you could say it, it, it itself didn't know it was ushering in the video age. But from here on in, we increasingly start remembering pop records from their videos more than perhaps we do the actual sort of top of the pops performances, if you like. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, this is getting round to the time where if you're that bigger band as the Boomtown Rats are at the moment and your record label is going to drop enough money to pay for an expensive video mm. then you are going to go well what's the point of going on top of the pops we can't get this song over better yeah on stage than this video does yeah and it still gets over. I mean, the thing is, I don't like I Don't Like Mondays. I don't <laughs> like it much of a record. But I'm still exposed to it because every Monday morning I pick up my grandsons to drop them at school because it's the one day that I can do that. Uh, every Monday morning. And they, obviously, like any good kid, hate school. So yeah. I get this. They know this song and they sing it at me quite aggressively <laughs> on a Monday morning, perhaps because they know that I, I've called it uh, in front of them. They're only little. They perhaps don't understand what I'm saying. But I've said, yeah, this is just like a hipper meatloaf, basically. It's, it's this <laughs> drumless, drumless kind of pompous, odd record. But um, it's an interesting record in all kinds of ways because it does, yeah. it does feel to me this, this, this Aventis thing it's interesting that you mentioned Newman because in this in this record you get silicon chips mentioned yes. and you get a telex machine yes. men- a telex machine mentioned. These are extremely Newmanoid lyrics, but whereas you feel that Newman would have sung these things in celebration, yeah, here it's it's in fear to a certain extent. Yes. You do get the feeling that seventies are ending. Something is different coming in pop, mm. um, and it's going to be this kind of. I, I can't get over the fact that I just don't actually like the song. To me, it is a 
it's not got a B. Obviously, it's a big. It's like a Jim Steinman production. It's it's a massive, big, meatloafy type record to me. Yes. Um, I much, much preferred Rat Trap, but but um, you know, th- this is one of those records that whether I like it or not is a big part of my headspace when I think about the late 70s, early 80s, mm. because it ushered in that video age to a big degree. Yeah, and it's a clear play for the American audience, isn't it? Mm. Which he then fucks up by singing about something America doesn't really want to hear about. Yeah, this yeah. is a song from back in the day when someone shooting up a school was, was something that was worth writing a song about, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it was that fucking weird and strange. Mm. And Christ, you could fill a top 40 with songs about American school shootings nowadays, <laughs> yeah. couldn't you? Similar to Neil, I remember every moment of this video. It's engraved into my memory. And watching it again, um, that, that really struck me, is that uh, every time something happened, I knew what was about to happen next. You know, it starts off the exterior shot of a rural schoolhouse, and then you've got... Yeah, with barbed wire in the front. Yeah, and, and you've got the band stood like a choir on the stage in front of, as Neil describes in the village of the damned kids. Mm, yes. Um, except for Johnny Fingers on the piano. And then the girl uh, significantly gets up and leaves, and then we're in her family living room. Yes. And then suddenly, Geldof um, and Fingers are there, then the whole band, and... On, on the sofa and that bit where they lurch forward and go tell me why yeah. yes. and then Geldof on the armchair jumps looking startled that moment is the, yeah. you know that I was like oh my god I could play that in my head yeah. without yes. anyone yeah, yeah, show yeah. it to yeah. me yeah. and the, looking at it now I'm struck by the similarity between that set and uh, Father Ted's living room <laughs> <laughs> just the same no they've got the they've got the settee and the and the telly in just the exact same spot. And I'm just thinking, was the set of Father Ted done like that in tribute to the I Don't Like Mondays video? Or are all Irish houses just like that? <laughs> I, I've got a bit of an obsession with um, 1980s, even though it's 79, but video tropes. And one of them is yeah. the sort of old-fashioned family yeah. living room yes. that, that you get quite a lot. And I, I believe there's one in Bad Boys by Wham, which we mentioned yes. earlier. And I, I, whenever I see that in a video, it always really pleases me. It's like, oh, it's that thing again, you know. <laughs> I think Tears for Fears used it in one of theirs. And, yeah, it's um, a, a sort of uh, a, a very uh, often used trope. Um, this song, though, what it is, essentially, it's the punk Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. isn't it? That's what it is. It's the, pu- it's the punk or slash new wave song that is meant to make us think, oh, this is proper. Mm. This is proper music. It's yes. a bit classical yes, sounding. Yes. Yeah. It's got it's got that kind of because Johnny Fingers is basically it's basically Johnny Fingers kind of a showpiece, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Because prior to this, yeah, he's present on most Rats records, yeah. but he's marginalised, particularly on something like She's So Modern, which is a straightforward yeah. yelping punk record, yeah. which well, I love. By the way, is that one who wears the pajamas? Yeah, yeah, he's the pajamas one. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, exactly, and that, that's all he's really significant for in a lot of their their stuff. Mm. He's he's got a bit more of a presence on Rat Trap, but in this one, it's like right, right, guys, it's my turn to show off, and um, he does that that big kind of virtuoso bit at the start, da, da, mm. Da, mm. Da, 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 da. and um, two of my friends at the uh, aforementioned yes. horrible boarding school, um, Mark and Neil Smith, um, who were. Um, Black guys from South Norwood in uh, in London, my dark mates. Uh, they were really good pianists, and there was a, a piano in the school. And I remember um, uh, them sitting down and playing that Johnny Fingers intro, and I was just blown away. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think I'd, I'd started, or I was about to start learning piano, and I just thought I'm never going to be that good. <laughs> it's actually fairly yeah. simple. It's it's not as complicated as 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 it looks. It's just descending chords, but. Uh, at the time, it's like, oh my god, you can play. I don't like Mondays, and I must have loved that. It's like, 
oh my god, here's a song that we can do that's not going to embarrass us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I bet they didn't do the man with the child in his eyes, no. did they? <laughs> so it made it made piano cool. Well, music is my first love. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. will be my last. I actually disappeared down an internet rabbit hole about the um, the true story behind I Don't Like Mondays recently. Yes, and I think it was it, prob- it was probably prompted by, sadly, yet another um, modern high school shooting. Um, yeah. and, that uh, day's one. Yeah, that day's one, exactly. And there are so many um, little details to it that um, yeah. there's no time to mention it in the song, obviously. Or maybe Geldof didn't even know it at the time. I think he just very much went on the sort of headline uh, he, he went yeah. with the headline of what was pouring out the telex machine and then sort of uh, ran with it uh, in, in his own imagination. But the truth of it is that um, Brenda Spencer herself, I mean, she was 16, I think. She, she'd had a really grim life up until that point. She wasn't just a sort of bored, spoilt school kid no. with a grudge. She, you know, she, she lived in what was essentially um, a squat with a, a, a parent who's, uh, you know, an addict. I think there were issues of um, abuse and alcoholism and all sorts of stuff in her life that had led up to this. And the gun was hers, wasn't it? Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. So uh, it, it was... Present from Dad. <laughs> yeah. The more you look into it, the, just the more depressing it gets. Fucking hell. The, the journalist who phoned up and got the quote from uh, I Don't Like Mondays, apparently he just... Um, he didn't know. He didn't know the number. Yeah. He just tried every number with in that neighbourhood, and finally got got lucky with it. Extraordinary. And um, they only ended the shooting and, and saved a lot of lives by pulling up a garbage truck in front of her house because she lived directly opposite the school. So yes. it's only by parking a garbage truck in front of of the school that they managed to get everyone out safely. Jesus. Um, did people really, when when they heard this song, did they really get what the story was about? Yeah, I think they did. I think it was it was known ah, about. Okay. Yeah, because Bob Geldof was a was a big tabloid figure mm. in 1979, as he would be for the you know for years to come. And it was you know always big gob Bob, and he's doing a song about a shooting. Oh, that's that's so punk. I remember you know the Boomtown Rats were seen in the particularly in the Daily Mirror, which is what we had in our house. Right. He was like that. He was the punk figurehead yeah. of the time. Even more, much more than Jimmy Purser. Yeah, yeah. And certainly more than Johnny Rotten by this time, John Lydon. But there were parts of the time. lyric that I didn't get, you know, um, uh, the the bullhorn crackles and that kind of stuff. I didn't know what a bullhorn was at, no. at that time and stuff like that. Uh, I yeah. didn't even know what a telex machine was. So a lot of it I only really understand more in retrospect. I think a lot yeah. of us heard the record first and then learnt the story behind it later um, to the point where the video mm. actually gets scarier once you know that story. Um, and and But yeah. that, like Price has said, there were so many moments. You know that the, there's a shot of Geldof with shades on and a, and a kind of green top on? And, and, and if I had to yeah. devi- define new wave in a way that's the image that is the image um, and it's that mental top where the um the shoulders kind of like jut out yeah yeah is that the bit where he's kind of leaning diagonally and then in the top absolutely in, yeah. in the top right of the screen you've got simon crow from the rats doing some kind of weird absolutely dance, yeah. dance yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely There's a lot of it about a lot of it about yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just interested by the idea that it was originally meant to be a reggae song yes. because eventually they did have a hit with banana republic yes which is a reggae song yeah and i when you told me that, in my mind, I was trying to mash those two songs together and imagine <laughs> that happening, but it's actually impossible. Can't yeah, I mean, it. apparently he, uh, Bob Geldof was dead set on every new single that comes out is completely different from the last one. Right. Which kind of fucked him up in the end, because it was... I suppose so. It was like, well, it's their new single, but I don't like it. It doesn't sound like the last one. I went to see them uh, last year in uh, in Dublin. Oh, yeah. And I've got to say, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I, we only went there on a whim. We were on holiday over there to see Wales and the football and uh, we had a spare night, and uh, they happened to be playing, and I managed to blag my way on the guest list. And 
it was just they, they added like somebody from Thin Lizzy on stage, and they did the Boys Are Back in Town, and um, oh, it was it was a great gig. And I know on previous chart music's uh, or on on a previous chart music, we collectively um, have laid into Bob Geldof, and there there, mm. there are there are good reasons why. But I will say that you know I thought he was a great front man, and they mm. they had some brilliant. Uh, brilliant singles and as as a night out i would still recommend a boomtown rats gig seriously and and this song was fucking massive i don't know whether it did stay at number one for weeks and weeks and weeks but it certainly felt that way and virtually every single compilation you get that year chart compilations which are the kind of things you'd pick up had this front and center i remember having ktl hot tracks that comp um and this was the first track on it Mm. followed by dollar and janet k and some of the people that we're talking about earlier sparks and 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 People like that, but yeah. yeah, I don't like Mondays. Tune of the year, in a sense, uh, historically. So I don't like Mondays. Spent two more weeks at number one, eventually being usurped by "We Don't Talk Anymore" by Cliff Richard. <laughs> oh, I remember when that got back to number one. I remember reading the papers, and it was like, "Oh my God, Cliff has come to rescue us from the threat <laughs> of punk." Yeah, a reassertion of tradition, kind of the opposite of when uh, when Rat Trap kicked uh, John Travolta and yes. John off the top and that was seen as a victory yeah. for punk. Yeah. yeah, Cliff Richards should have ripped up a poster of Bob <laughs> Yeah, this is for you, Olivia. By the way, let's do a duet soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it finished the year as the fourth best-selling UK single of 1979 between We Don't Talk Anymore and When You're In Love With A Beautiful Woman by Dr. Hook. Although the family of Brenda Spencer failed to get the single banned in the USA, it only got to number 73 there and was scrubbed from the playlist in every San Diego radio station for years. The follow-up, Diamond Smiles, would only get to number 13 in December of this year, although they'd have two more top five hits in 1980 with Someone's Looking At You and Banana Republic, diminishing returns set in, and they eventually split up in 1985. Earlier this decade, Bob Geldof revealed in an interview that he received a letter from Brenda Spencer thanking him for making her famous, and he said that he regrets writing the song now. And earlier this year, it came out that he didn't completely write the song in any case when pianist Johnny Fingers finally received a co-credit and a financial settlement. And the school in question was pulled down in 2017 and Brenda Spencer is still in the California Institution for Women awaiting a parole hearing in 2021. God, can you imagine being on the parole board for that and saying, all right, Brenda, so you want to be released? Tell me why. (laughs) The whole day down. Don't like Mondays, don't mind Thursdays. That was number one. It was Boontown Rats, and we'll see you again next week. I'm going to have a bit of a kip here. See you around. Bye-bye. Pow! In Legs and Co's hammock, 
has bits of sand tossed at him off camera as he signs off on this episode with Born to be Alive by Patrick Hernandez. Born in leblanc Menil in Saint-Saint-Denis in 1949, Patrick Hernandez was a Frenchman with Spanish and Italian parents who worked the dance halls of the Riviera throughout the 1970s. In 1978, he linked up with the producer Jean Van Loo and relocated to Belgium to have a go at this disco thing everyone was going on about. This is the first fruits of his labour, which was originally a hard rock song he'd had for a few years, and it's already been number one in Austria, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy, Norway, Portugal, Spain and Sweden. And after a slow pull up the UK charts, it's nipped up from number 13, where it's been for two weeks, to number 11. First of all, um, thank you for clarifying that it was sand being thrown over <laughs> Peter Powell, because yeah. um, I thought he's been splashed with something in some kind of bukake or water sports <laughs> scene, which is really, really alarming. Oh. Um, and, uh, oh, and by the way, he says, don't like Mondays. Don't mind Thursdays. Oh, of course I mean, he does. Yes. Do, do, do yes. you think anybody? Do you think anybody told him what the song's about? No. I mean, fucking hell. It is. It's the equivalent of Alan Partridge and that Sunday Bloody Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sunday yeah. Bloody Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, this this track we get one minute fifty five of it. I counted, which is very generous for the closing credit song. Uh, I've told the pubs. Particularly when we're not seeing much. I mean, the last chart music we mm. did, there was a big, long, old uh, trawl through the uh, through the crowd to ZZ Top. And uh, that would have been appreciated here because we have not seen much of the pop-crazed youngsters in the studio. No, we get nothing, do we? Not in the slightest, no. Well, we get the usual trope of the kaleidoscope effect on the lighting rig that Top of the Pops was so fond of. Yeah, that kind of fly-eye thing with uh, sort of, I guess, turns turns the studio into a mirror ball, effectively. But Yeah. yeah, but it, it, It's it, nice, but there's the, there were better things to film. Yeah, after two minutes of it, it's a bit, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Loses dramatic interest. But the song. <laughs> I love it. I think it's magnificent. Yeah. I absolutely fucking love Born to Be Alive. Uh, I bought it on 12-inch when it came out. I can still picture the purple sleeve of it. Among other things, I love the relish with which he sings the word barn. Barn. Oh, that went round the playground. Barn. (laughs) To be alive. He sings that line like someone off Copycats or Who Do You Do doing a really shit impression of Ian Paisley, doesn't (laughs) he? Barn, Derry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I just think this is another absolutely fucking thumpingly great Euro disco record. Probably better than uh, the the Gibson Brothers one. And uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I just think this is a great, great record. It's up there with, and I I do bracket it in my mind with "Strut Your Funky Stuff" by Frantique, right? Um, and with uh, uh, "Knock on Wood" by Amy Stewart. Maybe mm. not quite as good as as those two. To my eleven year old palate, it was a bit too seaside special. Was it? For me. Was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I yeah, I understand the whole seaside special thing about disco. For me, that would be things like um, Kelly Marie. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, but I, I thought this was the right side of the line. You know the big rumour about this record, by the way? You know who's supposedly on it? Go on. Right. Well, supposedly, right, supposedly Madonna. Yes. Is that, is that yeah. Madonna was his backing vocalist. She would have been 19 when this came out. Mm. And um, supposedly, when you hear the backing vocals going, that's her. But there's there's not really any confirmation of it. So, but What I've heard about that isn't that she sang on it, but that when he was preparing for his US tour that year, 79, 
He mm. sent his producer to find a group of dancers to accompany yeah. him, and uh, they held the auditions in New York City. And Madonna was one of those who was chosen to tour with him, but just as a dancer, as I recall, not not as actually. So maybe she's like not on the record. Yeah. Uh, we heard on the playground that Madonna was having sex during this <laughs> single. You could hear it. <laughs> so the following week, Born to Be Alive moved at one place to number 10, its highest position. The follow-up, Disco Queen, failed to chart, and he never troubled the UK charts again. But the single also got to number one in Australia, Canada and Mexico. And by the end of the year, it got to number 16 in America, selling a million copies there. And he eventually racked up 52 gold and platinum discs from 50 different countries. Fucking hell, his, his living room, man. <laughs> you needed sunglasses to walk in there. <laughs> and as mentioned, during his tour of America at the end of the year, one of his backing dancers was a 19-year-old Madonna. It's a good single. Seek out the album version because it's over seven minutes and it's just... Ooh. It's fab. Oh, I will do. It's Thank fab. you. Yeah. And that... Pop Craze Youngsters closes the book on this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on telly afterwards, you say? Well, I'll tell you. BBC One gets stuck into Citizen Smith, where Wolfie Smith and his mates chance across some stolen goods. And then it's The Persuaders, the documentary series about advertising and marketing. And they're looking at Hubba Bubba's £1 million advertising campaign in the UK. After the nine o'clock news, it's the first part of The Duke, the Robert Conrad miniseries about a former boxer turned private eye. Then it's Person to Person, the interview series, and this week David Dibbleby has a chat with Peter Cook. Then they close out the night with Shirley MacLaine, the one-woman show which has just won the Golden Rolls of Montreux. BBC Two have just finished Landscapes of England, where Professor William Hoskins has a nose about Cornwall. Then it's the school's prom from the Royal Albert Hall, featuring the South Nottinghamshire Music School Orchestra, conducted by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Then it's the Lord Drama series The Paper Chase, and then tonight's film For a Few Dollars More. After the late news, they finish off with highlights from the cricket. ITV has just finished Thundercloud, the sitcom set in a naval shore base, and then Cheryl Ladd gets kidnapped in Charlie's Angels. Then it's the comedy series Jack in a Box, Shelley, The News at Ten, and Estate of the Nation, a documentary special about the 10th anniversary of the British Army in Northern Ireland, and they send us off to bed with Charles Aznavour in concerts. So, me boys, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow? I'm saying Sham 69, without um, a doubt. Um, mm. The special's performance would have a longer-lasting effect on my life. But, yeah, the next day it'd be like, oh, do you see that band? They took their shoes off and they had uh, a violin and they didn't even play it and then they smashed it up and then they all walked off. And, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, yeah I'll be talking about Sham, definitely. Um, so I'll probably just be talking about the fact that Peter Powell said at the end, mm. great pop music from Coventry, because I would have been amazed by that and I would have wanted to talk about it with people. Like, where? Yeah, who are these people? Where do they live? And and and, yeah. and of course the scary bloke from Sparks. Yeah, I don't know if I would have yes. wanted to talk about that. I would have almost not wanted to admit how frightening yeah, I found yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> mm. what are we buying on Saturday? I wonder. 
Sham 69, The Specials, Corgis, Abba, Sparks, Earth, Wind and Fire, Darts, Boomtown Rats, Dave Edmonds, Gibson Brothers and Patrick Hernandez. Uh, that's 11 songs. I bought all of those either straight away or not long afterwards. So that's basically the whole show apart from B.A. Robertson, The Dooleys and Olympic Runners. Fucking <laughs> okay, hell. I would have probably, yeah, I probably would have bought Gangsters um, and little else. But now I'd be hoovering this shit up. Hernandez, Gibson Brothers... There's a lot of good stuff in this episode. The strike rate is high, isn't it? Yes, very much so. And what does this episode tell us about August of 1979? I'm going to climb off the fence. I'm. You, you, oh, you wanted to ask me. Go. Yeah. And I'm saying that, yeah, 1979 is the greatest year for pop ever. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would say it's probably the pinnacle of human civilization, And within mm. that, the 2nd of August might be as good as it ever got. I mean... The thing is, we normally look for those years or those moments where we feel that the freaks have taken over and we, we see that as kind of, yes, that's right. But actually what's nice about this episode and uh, perhaps about 79 is the balance. Mm. The balance between great, great pop music but also this little weird shit going on that you can tell mm. in a few years is going to go overground a bit more. That hasn't happened yet so you can still feel cherishably kind of elitist in a way being into something like the specials. But it's balanced against a great era for disco and a great era for pop music as well. So it's that nice mix of the two it's a corking episode simon thank you very much oh, you're welcome we need to do this critics choice thing again some point <laughs> you know you're pulling mm. out some gold all of you uh, mm. well me ducks that is the end of this episode of chart music all i gotta do now is the usual promotional shit <laughs> website www.chart-music.co.uk facebook.com slash chart music podcast you can get us on twitter at chart music t-o-t-p more importantly, put a jingle down our G-string for Christmas. Patreon.com slash chart music. Thank you ever so much, Simon Price. You're welcome. God bless you, Neil Kulkarna. Cheers, Chief Rocker. My name's Al Needham, and when you go to bed tonight, don't worry about us. We're all right! <laughs> <laughs> chart music. Hello, my name is Peter Powell. Welcome to a tape of some really fine music from some ace acts. Bowie, which you've probably heard many times before. I must keep saying, I must not keep saying Bowie, I must say Bowie. David Bowie, Blue Jean it's called, on EMI America. And it's off his forthcoming album tonight, which is full of treats apparently. Peter Powell, 275 uh, Recorded in Canada and produced by Bowie himself. There I go again, Bowie. Well, how exciting. How terribly exciting. There I am on the phone to one Jonathan King, who's just returned from America and has just bet me at least... What is it, 100 quid, was it, Jonathan? I can't remember. I can't put you on the air either. 100 quid that... Um, Lilac Time returned yesterday, record I played before that one, which got stuck. It's going to be a top ten record. But I had to, unfortunately, inform him... The Light Time record return yesterday has been out for some time, therefore a fairly safe bet, and I think I'm probably going to be 100 quid better off. JJ from The Stranglers. Jean-Jacques. You're half French, aren't you? Yes. Is that a problem? No, not at all. And if you want something to happen to you on a... So, David Bowie. (laughs) (laughs) David Bowie. David Bowie. 
Bowie said, let's dance. And the world danced. Serious Moonlight. The music video. 1995 from W.H. Smith. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 